When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I guess, well, I'm just curious what prompted the glasses tonight, and I guess is that going to tradition yeah. that's going to stick around? Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm getting old, and I and I can't read anymore, especially at night. It's been a fall. I'm, I'm, I, I got more gray hair than I've ever had. My wife doesn't like hanging around losers. I've been losing, so I mean, it ain't been good, you know. And that, of course, South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp with a sigh of relief after South Carolina's 24-7 victory over Kentucky on Saturday night at Williams-Price Stadium. I'm Wes Mitchell. Chris Clark here as well, another Carolina podcast on your Gamecock Central family of podcasts. And, um, you know, I think, Chris, uh, that that comment there from, from Muschamp sort of just said it all. I think, um, you know, you could feel this sigh of relief just from – from that, not just the fan base, but the entire football program, South Carolina. We we talked all week about just needing a win in the worst type of way, you know, not just for this season, but but big picture for the fan base, um, you know, to avoid you know losing to Kentucky six years in a row, which I, I think at the beginning of this streak would have just been unheard of to even think that that would be a conversation. So, um, from a short term, from a long term, from a big picture, from a you know, small picture, every way you can slice it up. I think a huge win for South Carolina, a sigh of relief. They can breathe a little bit going into the bye week. And um, not that the season is completely saved at this point, but, dude, two and three with a chance to sort of refocus is uh, just a way different conversation than one and four heading into the bye week. Yeah, for sure. And that's something we talked about leading up to the Kentucky week It's just how, how much South Carolina needed this win. Two and three is not where – I don't think it's where we envision this team. Most people envision this team, certainly not in the locker room around the football program. Um, with really the – we talked about this too, the, the North Carolina loss being the great differentiator. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the Missouri loss. The Alabama loss is one you, you sort of expect. The Missouri loss is one that sort of thought of as a swing game. That North Carolina one was the difficult pill to swallow, and I think that's what's caused so much uh, – that's what's – mainly caused this fall to be so so bad for Coach Muschamp and the other ones. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, you're sitting here, and, and if you lost to Kentucky, it's a six-straight loss, and then it's it's one and four, and then you got a bye week, and then you got another very difficult game in Georgia, and the outlook's not as good. Like you said, it's not great right now because of the schedule that's remaining, but they did pick up the second win. They broke that streak, and they did it in a convincing fashion. And I think that's something that, uh, they can build on, I think, regain some confidence with that and just got things back on the right track, even though it's going to be a, a tough road ahead still. Yeah, let, let's get into the actual game, dude. And I, I thought from moment one, just sort of establish their will against Kentucky. We have been used to Kentucky being the more physical football team. We've been used to Kentucky sort of overpowering South Carolina at the point of attack. I mean, play, play number one is a a 15-yard run by Rico Daddle. Uh, you look at the first drive of the game, uh, 11 plays, 75 yards, just South Carolina, um, 
you know, established their will. They did mix in some throws in there, but but for the most part, you had um, you know a number of just sort of gashing type runs in that first drive, and 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 just set the tone for the entire game. Uh, you know, I was rewatching the game on Monday when we we're recording this, and um, you know, the announcers were even talking about this is not a place if you're a visiting team that you want to get behind. Um, you know, it, it gets the crowd back into the game. Obviously, this crowd has been looking for something to cheer for. And uh, it, it was a really good crowd, I thought, considering all the outside noise and the sort of negativity you you know you hear and read going into this weekend. It was actually a really, really good crowd at Williams-Brice Stadium. I think they affected Kentucky. But uh, just, I thought, huge for South Carolina um, to start the game the way they did. And then that remained the story throughout the game. I, you know, I, I didn't think South Carolina was quite as maybe consistent offensively as you would want in a perfect world if we're sort of splitting hairs. But I think as far as this game goes, big picture, this sort of broke into a more traditional SEC, run the football, play field position, two really good punters, um, pin the opponent deep, uh, you know, force some turnovers. If you're South Carolina, protect the football. You know, this – and, if, you know, if, if Will Muschamp is your coach, this is a game, you know, that's right up his alley as far as playing defense, uh, playing field position, managing the game. And, uh, you know, South Carolina, it, they basically flipped the script on Kentucky. They were the more physical team, talking about Carolina's offensive line against Kentucky's defensive line, and they were the more physical team talking about Carolina's front seven versus Kentucky's offensive line. And that was something we talked about going in. You know, we didn't know if they'd be able to do that, but we talked extensively about how that would be a key to this game moving into it. Yeah, good points. And that that was a huge key for me. I mean, South Carolina, they did, they did so well in several areas, key areas, especially, and they were consistent in those areas as the game went on. One of them was, as you said, just dominating the line of scrimmage. Every time a Kentucky uh, player got the ball, it didn't matter where he was, uh, whether it was Sawyer Smith, the quarterback, whether it was a running back, whether it was a guy on the perimeter, they did an excellent job of swarming the ball carrier. There just wasn't a lot of room. Uh, Sawyer Smith was under duress a lot of the day. I mean, DJ Wanham had three sacks. Aaron Sterling had some big plays. Javon Kinlaw was dominant again inside. This is a Kentucky offensive line that's been a pretty good unit traditionally under John Schlarman, the offensive line coach there. It's been a pretty underrated unit. And they still played well at times this year. Not as good with the run game with, with Benny Snell no longer on the roster, but they've done a nice job. Sawyer Smith, I mean, they were so disciplined in the rush lanes uh, that they caused them some issues. The coverage was good. And, of course, did a really good job in the run game. And one stat we rolled out, Wes, on the site was that South Carolina had to win the rushing differential. We talked about that in our breaking down the keys piece before the game. They won it by the largest margin in the Muschamp era. Of course, South Carolina lost that margin the past three seasons. It had progressively gotten a little bit better. Um, you know, last year they didn't lose it by a lot, but they had four turnovers to Kentucky's one. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they were able to negate that this year, and they were also able to – I think they won the rushing differential by 132 yards. Uh, did a really good job swarming the ball carriers. They put Sawyer Smith under duress. The interesting thing about it was this game – Sort of started out how the 2017 game did. Yep. yep. You know, South Carolina scores on the first drive. Kentucky throws a pick. And then, uh, you know, even even after that, it sort of mirrors it because South Carolina had to punt. Uh, or actually, they missed a field goal. 
on the 2017 game. You know, you go touchdown, interception by Kentucky, then South Carolina misses a field goal, then Kentucky fumbles, but then South Carolina throws an interception. This game, you know, you go touchdown, interception for Kentucky. You still don't capitalize fully because you punt, uh, but then Kentucky punts. Uh, they sort of trade out some things, but then South Carolina starts building, right? They get a field goal to make it 10 nothing. Um, you know, they do a nice job again defensively, and then they're able to go up 17 nothing. And based on the way they're playing defense, even though they, they sort of scuffled in the third quarter, I think had three straight three and outs on offense, mm-hmm. they were able to just hold Kentucky at bay defensively, and you always felt good about how the Gamecocks were playing defensively. So once they got up 17 nothing, you just didn't feel like the game was in danger, honestly. Yeah, let's um, let's keep it right there at the defense, Chris. And I, uh, so I, I sort of went through the stats on that side of the ball. We were talking about the running game. Um, Twenty-eight carries for one hundred and fifteen yards. Now, I, I did two things to those numbers, and I'm not a huge stat guy. But um, first of all, I, I took out, um, you know, quarterback runs and sacks, and that actually gets you to twenty-four carries for one hundred and forty-nine yards, which is a little bit more. Um, you know, it's a decent total if you just look at the stats. But then, and we're talking about Kentucky's rushing totals, obviously. But then I think if you look a little bit deeper, Kentucky had 75 yards rushing in garbage time on the last drive of the game <laughs> when the game was over. So if you take out garbage time and, like I said, re-add in the, the sack, you know, yardage that was lost, you get 20 carries for 74 yards for Kentucky, which is uh, 3.7 yards per carry, basically, from, from their backs. And then, of course, Lynn Bowden and, you know, Wildcat-type situations. And obviously, for South Carolina, you take that every single time. You especially take it against Kentucky, which, as we've talked about, has been really good against South Carolina the running game and has been really good against South Carolina with the Wildcat. I, I thought they handled that. Um, that formation that looked uh, very, very well. Um, but frankly, they, they handled everything. Uh, the, the big adjustment this week was South Carolina going to more of a, of a 4-3 look. We, we actually talked, I think it was on the Wednesday show, about how Sherrod Green had improved so much through four games this year, and we would probably see more 4-3. You know, I think that you look at sort of that matchup, and, you know, Muschamp talked about it, traditionally South Carolina under Muschamp, if the opponent's in three wides, they're going nickel. You know, if opponent is in personnel where there's only two wide receivers and, you know, there's two tight ends or there's two running backs, they're going four, three, you're matching personnel basically so that you have, you know, the same number of cornerbacks and nickels as the opponent has wide receivers. In this game, they, a lot of the time said, we're we're keeping our four, three personnel on the field. Um, going to continue to force Kentucky. I, I feel like they basically said, Kentucky, you're going to have to prove you can throw the football down the field before um, we change anything. Kentucky was never able to do that. And, um, you know, I, I think Sherrod Green just continues to play well. The linebackers play well. I think they, I think that put them in a little bit more, a few more zone situations because you don't really want to match up necessarily when you got that extra linebacker on the field. But, you know, the, the whole plan there worked out. You know, it sounds like we're going to continue to see some of that moving forward. Some of that was just because Green has maybe outperformed some of the guys in the secondary. Some of that was obviously, you know, maybe because of the lack of depth there, which Myas Williams moving on. But then some of that was just about, I think, uh, you know, 
making Kentucky prove they could throw the football, and Kentucky never was able to actually do that. Yeah, and I mean, only five defensive backs played in the game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, John Dixon was set to go in on one play after J.C. Horn sort of got a little bit banged up on a play where he got sort of torpedoed or helicoptered in the air a little bit, uh, but di- didn't even play, end up playing. So they played They played five guys. I mean, it was Horn, McQuamu, uh, Jamie Robinson, eBay, and Roderick really were the guys. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Sherrod Green, I mean, he's come on. You saw it in the Missouri game. You saw it in this game. You know, seen his snaps go up. Some Jamar Brown played some, had a, uh, you know, a karate kick fumble uh, which was sort of a bizarre play but a big play nonetheless um you know Damani Staley played a little bit so yeah yeah I mean it, it's not always a situation you know they're, they're going to get into some situations or maybe they're going to have to play nickel against some against some teams you just look through the schedule um and it can limit you from a coverage standpoint that's something Will Muschamp pointed out I think on a Sunday teleconference is that you know when you're in the when you got the Mike Will and Sam out there you might be a little bit limited in the passing game but um, in terms of your coverage, but um, team looked really good against the run. They did a good job against the pass as well. I think Sawyer Smith was obviously limited with what he could do. He was banged up, um, but regardless, I mean, all you can do is take what the opponent does and and do a good job with it. We've certainly seen some instances where South Carolina sort of had some some head scratching plays on defense, and there really weren't any of those in this game. I mean, that was a Really good stat you pointed out about the rushing totals. And, and you look up until that last drive, Kentucky just didn't have any big runs. I mean, mm-hmm. I did a very, very quick check, and I could have missed a run or two, but their longest run until that last drive was 10 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had one 10-yard run. They had one seven-yard run. Other than that, it's a lot of threes, fours, ones, twos. You know, they, had the, they put Lynn Bowden in the Wildcat and – he gets dropped for six yards and fumbles, and South Carolina recovers. So just a lot of big plays for South Carolina in the running game, and Kentucky couldn't get anything, just couldn't move the chains. And um, they had to rely on the pass more, which really played into South Carolina's hands. Yeah, and I, I thought, um, you know, with the extra linebacker on the field, I thought South Carolina did a good job out on the edges uh, at cornerback of just sort of, um, you know, getting off blocks and playing physical. And you could sort of – I felt like early on you said could sort of fill Kentucky offensively saying, all right, you know, they've, they've got an extra linebacker on the field. Let's try and stretch the field, you know, horizontally, horizontally a little bit, throw these quick screens out there. And uh, there were some, I thought, numbers advantages for Kentucky on the edge, at least on paper. But that sort of gets negated if, you know, there, there was one player I remember specifically in my head where Kentucky was in the Wildcat and uh, they had a numbers advantage to the outside, and they throw the little quick screen out there, and Mukwamu just rolls right through his block, sheds that block, and makes a tackle for loss. So, uh, you know, there, there are some scenarios where numbers-wise, South Carolina was giving Kentucky some things outside, but um, that's, that's when the game's played on paper. And in real life, if, if you can defeat those blocks out there, then, um, you know, you, you completely take that away. So I thought South Carolina did a really good job of that. And, you know, we, we saw Jamie Robinson – I think for the first time extensively play some true, you know, safety as, you know, he's mostly played nickel to this point. He played some, some true safety. You sort of had uh, RJ Roderick, JT eBay and Jamie Robinson as three guys playing the two spots at safety. But I think the versatility that Jamie gives you uh, his ability to play man coverage on wide receivers in the slot 
there were times when they're in the four three, but they you know short yardage third and three third and four type things when they wanted to play man coverage and they rolled Jamie down. He's playing man coverage on you know a slot, which is what he's used to playing in the nickel anyway. So I think his sort of versatility, his ability there, gives you a little bit more freedom. Um, you know, to leave that extra linebacker on the field, especially when you're playing a team that is not able to really threaten you vertically. So uh, Kentucky was not able to do that. Uh, maybe some other teams will be, obviously, but at least in this matchup, um, it worked out well for South Carolina. And I think we're starting to see Jamie Robinson. I looked at the PFF numbers. They're not, like, great. They're not bad. They're not great. But I think we're starting to see Jamie Robinson start to get more comfortable. The fact that they were able to play him at safety, I think, means mentally – he's coming along really, really well because we, we've talked about it a lot, how difficult that safety spot can be in this scheme. So for him to be able to play safety, play some nickel, uh, to me that says that he's coming along on the mental side and just the eye test, I, I thought Jamie uh, played pretty well. He did. He, he was physical. He's starting to make some plays on the football. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for that. Kentucky, really, they put it in danger, you know, Ernest, you know, Ernest Jones had a great pick, obviously, but there were some plays where the ball was in danger a little bit, probably could have walked away, you know, ideally with maybe one more, maybe two more interceptions. But Jamie had a, a couple close calls there. There was the one play I mentioned J.C. Horn got banged up on where they had a chance for a pick. And uh, I thought they did a nice job scheming, by the way, of that. There were a couple plays where, um, you know, it looked like maybe some sort of combo coverage, but J.C. Horn was basically staying as a flat player. Mm-hmm. and sort of letting the receiver go by. And they were almost trying to bait Sawyer Smith, and he did it once or twice, into making sort of that throw into the hole. And um, they were able to make some plays on the ball or just, you know, have him sort of go to another option. I think maybe a different look for him or just something they were trying to do schematically. So, But Jamie definitely – I agree, Wes. We play, he played well. Um, he's starting to, you know, continue to come on. Th- this is a guy that – I mean, we loved him out of high school. Oh, yeah. cover. He's physical. He's got a great mentality about him, very competitive, and um, we're starting to see that. I mean, you see there's a clip that was circulating of him <laughs> sort of talking with Lynn Bowden a little bit. That's the kind of guy he is. And Patting him on the helmet. Of. Yeah, a little helmet pat, and, you know, I think a little friendly jawing there. And um, But that, that's what they need, and I think this is a game that maybe defensively gave them more confidence. But but I agree with you. They, they leveraged the ball a lot better on the perimeter, and, I don't know if this is the player you're talking about, but I was just watching one where I mean, it was Kentucky's first play after the half, and they throw a little screen out there, and McQuamu did a great job of playing this block, leveraging the ball, keeping it back inside, where now you got Sherrod Green and Ernest Jones coming to help inside. The guy has to cut it back out towards the sideline where he's got basically no space, and it's a one- or two-yard gain. So those are the types of things they did very well in addition to playing the run and really not allowing anything at all downfield. Yeah, n- nine first downs allowed in the game uh, for South Carolina's defense. And, uh, you know, just t- top to bottom, everybody played well, I thought. Uh, we talked about Sherrod Green, you know, and the linebackers on the start of this show right here. And, I, you know, Sherrod, to me, just looks like a guy that's playing way more confident than he was last year. You know, I think there were maybe some some times last year where he was just playing hesitant almost. I mean, we, we've always known Sherrod Green had the physical tools to play linebacker in this scheme. But uh, to me, he's, he's attacking the football um, and, and doing all the little things he's supposed to do, and it, it's certainly paying off. Um, we, we talked a little bit as well about the defensive front, but 
um, to sort of close out the defensive talk. That that was the other side of it to me is that you know you're stopping the run, you're putting them in passing situations, and then you're taking advantage of that, and you're not really having to send the house and blitz a whole lot. DJ Wanham, three sacks, uh, first career three sack game. But man, I'm I'm telling you, the more South Carolina football I watch this year, I think Aaron Sterling has actually been one of the guys who has sort of consistently made some plays for South Carolina on defense. I mean, kind of quietly. He's not the first guy anybody talks about on this defense. We've talked about how he is a bit undersized. He's not the prototypical defensive end. But um, Aaron Sterling just makes things happen. Um, He had that one play where he just basically trashes the Kentucky right tackle, uh, gets his hands into him, puts him on his back, and then attacks the quarterback. Uh, Aaron Sterling just has quickly become – one of my favorite guys to watch on this defense just because of how he plays the game. And he sometimes it's almost like he he's able to use his his the fact that he's undersized a little bit to his advantage and that he can get under bigger offensive tackles. And um, I think he's maybe an unsung hero of this defense as they've gotten better the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I agree. They missed him a lot down the stretch last year. Uh, Bryson Allen Williams, who, of course, doing some work, some analysis work. Excellent job for us at Gamecock Central. Made a good point last week because Sterling had some very good plays against Missouri. And, you know, we highlighted one or two of those in particular on the site in Bryson's piece. And Bryson's point was, you know, Aaron's an undersized guy, but he plays big. Mm -hmm. And he's a guy that, despite his height, they put him inside in passing situations. You know, it's not it's not DJ Wanham or JJ Anagbari that they're putting out there. They're putting Aaron Sterling inside. Your interior rush nowadays is so important. It's something that's really become more of a trend is figuring out how, how can you push the pocket and rush on the interior. And when you put him against an offensive guard, it's gonna cause some issues. You know, you mentioned that sack where he just dominated the guy. There's another play. It's actually on Kentucky's first drive in the second half and leads to a fumble. And then South Carolina, of of course, scores on the very next play with Rico Dowdle, 30-yard run. But D.J. Wanham gets the strip sack, but Aaron Sterling honestly makes the play. Um, He, you know, they have sort of their their pass rush package out there, which is Wanham, Kinlaw, Sterling, and J.J. Enigbari. And every single one of those guys won their matchup. Kentucky had a guy, South Carolina really honestly had sort of a coverage bust, and they had a guy going – wide open across the middle for a first down, but there's just too much pressure. Uh, Sterling was lined up inside. He pushed his guy way into the backfield, and Sawyer Smith had to retreat, and D.J. Wanham had taken a wide angle around the left tackle and was able to come from behind and strip sack. So they really worked in tandem well together. They did a good job with their rush lanes, staying disciplined, and all that added up to a really good night rushing the passer. No doubt. Uh, of course, we want to thank Bishop Real Estate Group, uh, Terry Bishop, former Gamecock quarterback and uh, past Letterman's Association president, and his 36 years of experience for being a sponsor here on our podcast, uh, on all of our podcasts here on Gamecock Central, and uh, of course, our Slotsky's Deli Pick'em Contest every week. Um, those guys uh, do a great job over at Slotsky's and are also a sponsor of our podcast here on Gamecock Central. Let's shoot it over to the offensive side real quick, Chris. And similar story, you know, South Carolina, you know, able to run the football, able to establish the line of scrimmage. And, uh, you know, I think more importantly, their running backs were able to make some plays for them. I I did basically the same thing I did for 
the uh, the Kentucky backs. I, I did that for South Carolina. Sort of took out the um, the the plays that were sacks on South Carolina's end. And if you do that, and you just put South Carolina's running backs, of course, Tavian Feaster, Rico Daddle, Mind Denson, then you have forty carries for two hundred and fifty yards, which is six point two five yards per carry. Um, you break that down even further. And if you just put in Feasters and Daddles carries, they had 15 apiece, so 30 carries total, 209 yards for those two guys combined. That's seven yards per carry. Um, South Carolina just just able to move the football on the ground. But what were your takeaways from the running game, Chris? Were, were you su- were you surprised that South Carolina was able to run the ball as effectively as they were on Saturday? Yeah, to that extent, certainly. I mean. Um, I think one part of it, honestly, and this this isn't really any in-depth analysis, it's almost just a prove-it type thing. Um, mm-hmm. Because whether it's, you know, Kentucky schematically or, or, or strength-wise or just whatever it may be, that they have won this battle on both sides of the trenches in the past three seasons. You know, I, I mean, obviously, Street went back five years, but I'm just sort of counting the current era with Will Muschamp. You know, they've dominated that area, this line of scrimmage, all those different things. And so South Carolina turned it around in both regards. So, yeah, it did surprise me. Um, I thought they would be able to find some success here and there in the run game and um, put up some points, but they scored more points than I anticipated um, and definitely had more success. I mean, I I would not have anticipated not one but 200-yard rushers. And so Rico Dowdle, again, we've talked about it. He's like a different guy. Um, South Carolina decided, look, we're going to come out and run the ball. And Will Muschamp was asked about, you know, exactly how many RPOs they ran, how many, you know, plays they just hard call the run. And he, he didn't have that number in front of him on Sunday night. But he did say, look, we, we definitely call more runs. And you could tell. You could tell watching it where they were just going to make an effort to do it. And I think Rico Dowdle came out and sort of set the tone early. First runs 15 yards. I mentioned Kentucky's numbers earlier where they just couldn't really – they just didn't have a lot of big runs. It was a lot of three and four yards, and then, you know, third down couldn't couldn't stay on the field very much. South Carolina did have some bigger runs. You know, 15-yarder mm-hmm. on the first one, you know, 30-yard touchdown run right after the half. But then Tavian Feaster got in there, and he did a really good job. You know, he broke out for a touchdown run, ran through contact. I just thought they looked a lot tougher, honestly, up front. Um I thought South Carolina's offensive line and then Nick Muse and Kyle Markway when they went to the two tight end sets did an excellent job of blocking, just sealing guys off at times, just just nailing some guys out on the perimeter, you know, whether it's in the screen game or the run game. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with that. And then Rico Dowdle and Feaster are two guys who are playing well when they're given the opportunity, ran through tackles, made some big plays, looked explosive. So it, it was a huge night for him. And, no, I, I did not anticipate it to that extent. Yeah, and – all right, so bear with me here for a second. Tell, tell me if I'm, if I'm off the mark or if I'm crazy. I felt like the biggest difference for South Carolina, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this to take away from the offensive line. I thought they were solid. I, I thought they had some busts in the passing game, obviously, that – kept South Carolina from sort of staying on the field at times and having an even bigger day offensively. I, I thought the offensive line was solid in the running game. I, I thought, you know, especially at sort of getting those stalemates where, you know, you're not really pushing them back, but you're not 
allowing penetration either it's sort of you know and, and I think you know a lot of times you'll take that a, a tie you know to me goes to the offense in those situations but I thought the big difference for South Carolina to or Saturday and just during the season when they've been good in the running game has been the improved Rico Daddle that we're seeing um the addition of Tavian Feaster we talked the last couple of years about how South Carolina's running backs just were not able to sort of get the extra yardage. I thought both those guys, man, if, if it was blocked for three yards, they got five yards. If it was blocked for seven, they got 10, you know, falling forward, making somebody miss, uh, running with great vision, you know, Daddle, I thought at times found some small holes and was able to exploit them. You know, South Carolina played decently up front, I haven't gotten all the way through the third quarter yet in my rewatch, but first first half, man, I I thought it wasn't necessary that South Carolina's line was just hammering Kentucky off the ball. I I thought it was that they were giving the backs just enough room, and that we're just seeing Rico Daddle and then Tavian Feaster be on a different level at the running back position than we've seen South Carolina, you know, play at that position the last few years. Yeah, and I think that's. Almost always the difference, right? I mean, mm-hmm. where if you've got good back play, and that's something that we've talked about, you know, the past three years is, yeah, the offensive line, they need to give you a push in certain situations and they can play better. But really the difference comes down to backs where, I mean, even look at the the, the play in the third quarter, you know, Rico's 30-yard touchdown run. It was a well-conceived play from a scheme standpoint. And they did a good job blocking it up. You know, you had two two pullers. You go to the weak side. But Rico Dowdle makes a cut there where he sort of pins some guys inside. He cuts it outside, and then it's it's a touchdown. You know, and, and then running through contact, which Feaster and Dowdle did. I think that's almost always the difference. You know, um, you do see, you know, when we talk about teams that have dominant offensive lines, a lot of times they're they're really good. But mm-hmm. the key difference is having a guy that can, like you said, turn that shorter gain into a longer gain or run through contact. Because if, especially if a team's scheming to stop the run, if they've got a lot of hats in the box and they miss a tackle or they misfit something, if you do break away from it, then you're going to have a chance to find a lot of open space. So, um, yeah, I haven't really, like U.S., I haven't studied in depth, you know, the, the exact – um, you know, all all the offensive line play in this game quite yet. Um, I have seen some really good things from what I have watched, but I do think the backs, you know, made a huge difference in this game, and that's what they wanted. You know, that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, as I was watching the game, I was sort of writing some things down during the rewatch. Um, we already talked about a little bit, little bit of it. Uh, more two tight end sets was something I wrote down. Um, like we talked about, less RPOs. Even on some of the inside zones, I was trying to watch the receivers and see if they were running routes or running guys off or blocking them. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, okay, are these RPOs, but they're just maybe reading it a little bit more towards the run, or are these straight run calls? Um, It it seemed like a lot of the inside zones were some true runs. Um, You know, they did a lot of motion uh, when they were doing those inside zones, a little bit more pin and pull stuff where you're trying to get some movement up front, uh, you know, pin in one side, then bring in a couple of guards behind. That was the scheme early on. I thought they had a lot of success with um, mixed in a couple of counters, mixed in a draw play here or there. They had one draw that actually went for a really nice run on a beautiful daddle cutback, and 
uh, they got erased by a Sedarius Hutchinson holding call that actually was caused because um, Dattle's run was so good. He ended up bouncing it outside. And, uh, you know, Hutchinson has leverage from the inside. And when the defensive line was flowing to try to get to Rico on the outside, it sort of forced Hutcherson into a holding call. But but just the vision there I, I thought was outstanding. So I thought they diversified a little bit more in the running game than we've seen. Uh, they stuck to the running game. They were hard-headed in the running game, as we talked about. And, and it paid off. Now, I think long-term, you know, for South Carolina to, to sort of get to where they want to be offensively and as a team, we're going to have to see a balance, Chris, of all of these things, in my opinion. Uh, you're going to have to mix in a little bit more of the, you know, this doesn't mean you have to go completely away from the RPOs. They've still gotten a lot of big plays over the last year and a half over RPOs. Um, you want to see those still be a part of the offense. You're going to have to stretch the field vertically. They didn't have to against Kentucky. I, I thought it was actually interesting, especially early on. Kentucky was dropping back into zone so much that, uh, you know, South Carolina was content even on some third downs and throwing the ball short of the sticks and just trying to scheme room for their, you know, a lot of times for Brian Edwards, uh, you know, to, to get forward and get a first down. We saw a nice Josh Van catch and run on the screen, um, a nice Shy Smith catch and run on the screen. South Carolina said, you know, we'll, we'll throw it short of the sticks and our guy's going to make a play and get the first down. Um, you know, for, for uh, so, you know, sort of getting Helensky comfortable, especially early on, giving him some of those easier throws. Um, in this game – all these things we're talking about uh, work to perfection. I think long-term you're going to have to diversify what you're doing a little bit more, but at least for Saturday, uh, you know, it, it worked. Yeah. And, and good point about scheming the guys open. And I mean, shoot, South Carolina had on that first touchdown driver, they scored They had two third downs they had to convert They had a third mm-hmm. and six where they think they got Edwards. It was either Edwards or Smith. I think Edwards on I think the it was little, Edwards sort of, yeah, little sort of screen and he, you know, made some things happen, got past the sticks. And then I think there's even a third and nine in Tavian Feaster with a 12-yard catch. So, um, yeah. yeah, so they, they did a really nice job with that. And, again, it's about just being smart, you know, taking taking what they give you. You're going to have to run the ball well. I think that's what this team's going to have to be. I'm not sure this is a team that's going to – you know, sure, they want to create some explosive plays. They're going to take some shots. But as you go through the season and try to figure out, you know, what you do well, um, it's, it's become apparent that maybe that's what they are. You know, take some shots here and there, but get Edwards and Smith in space, let them run. That's been some of their most successful plays this season. Um, and then, you know, try to stretch them vertically when you can, but just run the ball and get, get the ball in those guys' hands. And that's, that looks like what's been the most successful formula for South Carolina this year. Now, of course, other people are going to notice that. They're going to try yep. to do things schematically on defense to take that away. Um, but again, what you're good at is what you have to do. And so I think that's probably more along the lines, if I had to guess, of what we'll see going forward. Yeah. And that, that feaster, um, conversion on the, on a catch, you know, that, that was another one where he's catching the ball short of the sticks. Um, but Kentucky's dropping back. You're taking what's there. He catches the ball. And I, I thought did a great job, of immediately starting to get upfield. He falls forward. You get the first down and, you know, the sticks are moving there. There were, I thought, some really demoralizing moments from the Kentucky defense, um, even early in the game where South Carolina just was able to stay on the field. And, uh, you know, you, you saw Helensky make a few throws on that first drive to the intermediate areas, but most, you know, most of it was either running game or quick screens to the outside. And, and South Carolina's guys doing a really good job. You mentioned the tight ends, but the other receivers as well doing a good job of blocking outside. Um, real quick, uh, 
Jalen Nichols, first career start, second career action. Um, I I thought he was solid, man. He he had um, I distinctively remember one bust in the passing game, uh, uh, end of the second quarter when South Carolina was trying to go down and and score before the half, where he just got sort of speed rushed. Um, you know, there's some maybe passing game like protection type stuff, but you know, thrown into the fire, SEC night game. Um, the guy goes down in front of you, and all of a sudden you're the guy. I, I thought Jalen Nichols hung in there, played pretty well for a first start, and we, we've talked ever since he got here. Everybody within the program has raved about the athleticism of this kid and said, you know, he, he fits what they're looking for there. Muschamp said that again after the game. There'll be some growing pains. We all know that with a true freshman at, at offensive tackle, but you know, even with that said, man, I, I didn't think the growing pains were like that evident. It wasn't like a thing where you just where he just stands out as oh, that's the freshman getting whipped. I I thought he he hung in there pretty well. He did, and I, I've heard some things to indicate that you know the staff was happy with how he played out there um, mm-hmm. in his first start. And you're right. I mean, this is a dude that's. I mean, he's huge. He's very athletic. Um, he, he doesn't look like a freshman. You know, he's a thirty plus inch vertical jumper. Just an explosive guy. A lot of people feel like he has NFL potential one day. And uh, so we're getting ahead of ourselves. But that's what you try to do. You try to recruit guys on the offensive line that you feel like can be that. And um, so, look, it's his first start. And not only his first start, Wes, but really his first substantial action. I mean, the only other Mm -hmm. game he played in, if I'm not mistaken, is the Charleston Southern game. And so when everybody um, played. When, and everybody, yeah, they played. I can't even remember how many guys. A bunch of them, and so I think you got in for a couple snaps. So there, there were a couple at safety. I think, yeah, just sort of stood back there. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, it was. I thought it was a good first outing. Something they can build on. And look, they're going to need him. I mean, he's going to be, he's going to be playing against Georgia at noon uh, after the bye week, and so they've got some time to to get him ready, uh, continue letting him progress, and. Um, you know, he's got a chance to be a really good player. Is he going to be a really, really good player? Able to have a Dylan Wanham sort of impact in the time that he's out there? You know, probably not. It's probably unfair. Um, but I think he, he did a nice job for his first first go round. No doubt. Again, big win for South Carolina. We'll, you know, we'll talk more big picture in the podcast later on in the week. And we'll, of course, talk about um, the bye week and, and then maybe some, some SEC big picture type stuff as well. But, uh, did want to talk a little bit of recruiting. Two official visitors on campus this weekend. Uh, Laneith Whitehead, a linebacker, actually slash running back from Athens, Georgia, who was in on his official. Henry Parrish, a um, running back from the Miami area, he was in on his official. And uh, I sort of handled the Whitehead uh, sort of recruitment this weekend as far as getting information on that. Chris handled Parrish. And, you know, I, I think Henry Parrish, Chris, we'll start with him has quickly become a guy we need to be talking about more. And I say that, first of all, based on uh, the feedback you got directly from him after the visit. And, you know, we, we had a little bit of chatter on our board. You know, this guy's a 5.5 three-star. Why is everybody excited about him? And, uh, you know, you can go into it. But but this kid has had a monster senior year. Will not be a 5.5 three-star for long. <laughs> and, you know, if you're talking about – and he's committed to Pitt right now, but – I think still very, very much open. Um, but, yeah, talk, talk about him a little bit, man, because it's quickly looking like this guy could be that second back in the class for South Carolina. Yeah, I think South Carolina did a lot to help itself this weekend. 
Um, you know, he's probably not going to make a decision imminently in terms of finalizing things, but a lot of really good indications for the Gamecocks over the weekend. We got a full story with him on our front page right now at Gamecock Central if you want to check out his comments. But he, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's had a huge senior season. And um, actually, one of our, our Rivals.com analysts in Florida, Rob Cassidy, was at, I believe it's the first game of the season when they played uh, Balin Jesuit uh, down there, which features Miami commitment Don Chaney, another really good, you know, 6.04 star, you know, sort of close to five-star status running back. And Chain, uh, Paris rather had a huge game. He had 17 carries, 324 yards, three touchdowns. And if you go check out his film from, you can pick that game or just any other one. This yeah, any of them. <laughs> he he's looking incredible. I mean, he's he's a kid that has is just sudden. You know, he's he's got speed, uh, very quick, very elusive. Um, just sort of really has had a huge year. So he's a guy that's going to jump way up in the rivals 250 I, it wouldn't be a huge shock if he was a, a top 100 player um in this update or, or another one at some point but i feel pretty comfortable saying he'll be a four-star guy in the rivals 250 and you know a guy that south carolina didn't offer him super early that the offer is still relatively recent but really started making some strides soon after that he's a guy that thomas brown was familiar with from his time at the university of miami and already started building that relationship and so that that may be able to pay dividends here for the Gamecocks. Yeah, and, and somebody that all of a sudden South Carolina really, really wants. So uh, someone to keep an eye on. Um, as I said, I, I spoke to Lanith Whitehead after the game, or after his uh, official visit, I should say, on Sunday. And another guy I think South Carolina did a lot to help him help themselves with. He had a number of family members in town with him. That's sort of been a South Carolina-Tennessee battle to this point um, he he may take an official to wisconsin may take an official to georgia it doesn't really seem like georgia is a major factor in this one um and the the thing about these official visits is that you know you, you get a feel for where a guy's head may be right now but then you have to always mention that they're they're 18 year old they're 17 year old kids so they can change their minds again very very quickly but i sort of exit the weekend thinking South Carolina has put themselves in pretty good position with both these guys you know we'll see if Whitehead takes the Wisconsin official um doesn't sound like Georgia's doing a heck of a lot with him right now just Chris based on some feedback I got from people around Whitehead I I just got the impression South Carolina passed Tennessee that they're ahead of Tennessee at this point so we'll see if they can sort of hold on there he he wants to make a decision you know within the next month or so um you know, told me he didn't want to be a guy that decommits, didn't want to be a guy that wavers once he commits. So he, he wants to make sure. But um, really just sounded like he's kind of getting tired of the process and, and wants to be done. You know, he, he's a high three-star on rivals, but uh, as we talked about, can play linebacker, can play running back. And, you know, as you and I have talked about off the air, this is just a big athletic kid. That that may be an, an ongoing trend for South Carolina in this class, once it's all said and done, if it ends up the way I think it will, you look at this kid, you look at Eric Shaw, you look at Jaheim Bell. Um, th- those are all three guys, you know, if South Carolina can add Jaheim Bell officially to the mix, those are three guys that you're just saying, look, they're big, they're fast. They can eventually help South Carolina somewhere. You may not even know exactly where it's going to be right this moment, but um, you'd rather have those guys in your program than not, I think. Yeah, and 
a lot of people a, a talking point with with Whitehead, and there's it's fair, you know, the competition level he plays against is not great um, by any means. I mean, he can basically go out and play running back or linebacker and just bully guys. But he does destroy them. (laughs) He does destroy – that's what you want to look at. It would be concerning if it was his size and athleticism was not dominating. Um, But he does. And so, there's just – there's still a lot to like. I mean, you know, seeing this guy in person, he's uh, – he's huge, you know, and he's he's got a lot of athleticism. So, uh, there's just a lot to work with. And, again – if you're going to miss, miss on a really good athlete. I'm not saying he would be a miss. Maybe a huge hit. Um, but when, when you're bringing guys in like that, again, that's what you look at in terms of your recruiting. You know, if you can bring in guys like Marshawn Lloyd and, you know, Jalen Nichols, who we just talked about, mm-hmm. you know, who's 6'6", 300 pounds and athletic as he is, or a guy like Lenneth Whitehead at his size and athleticism, that's what you got to add to your program. I mean, the best programs in the country have the best athletes. That, that's what it boils down to. Whatever position it may be, best guys have the best – you know, best teams have the best athletes. So, uh, and continuing to try to upgrade the roster, you know, Whitehead's a guy that, that makes a lot of sense from that standpoint. They want to add one more linebacker, and it increasingly looks like he may end up being the guy. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm very, very close to putting in my forecast prediction for Whitehead. Um, I may actually do that right now while we're talking. Um, I'm, I'm very close <laughs> – I just – I don't know. It, and you, you always sort of for, – for those who are curious about this type of stuff, you're always a little bit – to at least me, I'm a little bit hesitant because there's always excitement right after the official. And then you sort of have to find out, does it die down a little bit? Or, it, you know, is it a situation where, um, you know, this is something that's going to stick and, and he's going to end up at South Carolina. So I, I, I'm always a little bit hesitant right after the official. But uh, certainly both those guys, South Carolina, helped themselves out quite a bit. Um, I, it's probably going to about do it for us here in this episode of another Carolina podcast. You got anything else to add, Chris? Any big picture stuff? I mean, we'll um, we'll be doing a uh, our Wednesday show as always. So um, make sure everybody listens in for that. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, if you want to sign up for Gamecock Central, uh, GC Pod will get you um, some type of deal on there. I think it's is it free thirty days? It's a free thirty days. You yeah, got it. thirty day uh, trial. Uh, but yeah, any, any other closing thoughts there, Chris? Well, no, I'm good. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, something you're supposed to do on the podcast when asked a question, so you don't really <laughs> no. have anything else. But I think that we means, about that covered means we it. hit it all. Then I think there you go, uh, there you go. So yeah, we'll talk big picture on Wednesday uh, for everybody listening. We appreciate it. Tell your friends, um, of course, if you want to buy a house, uh, check out Bishop Real Estate Group. If you're hungry for lunch, go to Slotsky's. Um, that's another Carolina podcast. He's Chris Clark. I'm Wes Mitchell. We'll talk to you later this week.